Well, as Jeff said at the top of the service this morning, uh, welcome to Faith Lutheran Church. My name is Brian. I know we have a few guests with us this morning. I want to say welcome in Christ's name if you're a guest this morning. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to the book of Ruth. Uh, I know many of you like to read scripture on your tablet or on your uh, cellular mobile device. Uh, I like to, I'm a little bit old school, I like a, a Bible with paper and all that good stuff. So we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Ruth, which is pretty early on in the Old Testament. A couple weeks ago, we started a sermon series called The Sovereignty of God. And the big idea behind this sermon series is we're asking the question, with all the chaos, with all the turmoil going on out in the world, is God still in control? But we're also asking the question, with all the mess and all the problems in my own life, is God still reigning supreme in my life? Is God really got things under control in my life? We're asking, looking out and inward, and we're asking the question over and over and over, where is the sovereignty of God? Where is the power of God? Where is the control and the reign of God in all things? And so we started a couple weeks ago looking at the sovereignty of God in pain. Last week we looked at the sovereignty of God in perseverance. And today we're going to look at the sovereignty of God in provision. Where is God at? How does God help take care of me in the midst of so much that's gone wrong in the world and in our own lives? Everybody got the book of Ruth open? We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you continue to gather your people together to study your word, to reflect on your word, and to be obedient to your word. God, as we continue on this journey of Ruth's life, we pray that your Holy Spirit might continue to speak to us and encourage us, and God, even challenge us to understand what it means that you reign supreme, that you are indeed sovereign. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A couple years ago, uh, I ran across a letter from a college student to her parents. Do we have any college students here this morning? Any college students this morning? Okay, college students are sleeping in this morning maybe. Um, but this is what the letter said I wanted to share with you this morning. Dear mom and dad, because of the fire set off by the students in my dorm who were rioting, I experienced temporary lung damage and had to go to the hospital. While I was there, I fell in love with an orderly. We moved in together. I dropped out of school. I found out I got pregnant. He got fired because of his drinking. So we're moving to Alaska uh, after the birth of our baby. Your loving daughter. P.S. None of this really happened, but I did flunk my chemistry class, and I wanted you to keep it all in perspective. Smart girl, absolutely. You know, that's a real thing. Psychologists, in, in fact, call this kind of psychology counterfactual. It's setting up a perspective to really understand that maybe things aren't so bad after all, or things might not necessarily be what they appear to be on the surface. It's another way of looking at something. 
In fact, there's a professor at Northwestern uh, University, Vicki Vidak, and she's written extensively on this idea of counterfactual. And what she's done is she's studied Olympic athletes, and especially those who have uh, earned medals. And over the course of studying many, many uh, Olympic medalists, she's discovered that bronze medalists are actually happier and more content with their lives than silver medalists. And we might think to ourselves, well, that doesn't make any sense, right? Because it was the silver medalists who actually beat the bronze medalists in whatever athletic competition uh, that it was. But time after time, as she talked to and interviewed these silver medalists, they were so focused on how close they were to missing the gold medal. And they just would obsess over, I was, if I had just done this, if I had just done that, I was this close. And they actually have this life of discontentment. But the bronze medalists, when she would interview them time and time again, and she would say, tell me about your bronze medal. They would say over and over and over, I was just happy to be on the platform because I was this close to missing out and being among all the others. I was this close to not getting a medal at all. And they felt so much better about their lives and they were actually grateful for the medals that they had achieved. Counterfactual. And we see this in our lives all the time, don't we? We can either live lives focused on all the things that are wrong, or we can live our lives focused on those things that are right and having lives of gratitude. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about this morning. It's the sovereignty of God in our provision. Folks, I'm just going to tell you, spoiler alert on the front end, it is all about our attitude. It's all about how we see God in our lives. And we can focus on our circumstances and all the negative that's going on, or we can be grateful for all that he has done in our lives and continues to do in our lives. So if you've got your Bibles, um, we're going to go to uh, Ruth 2, uh, let's see, beginning with verse 14. And before we get there, uh, let me just kind of set it up for you a little bit about what's going on. I'm going to give you a little recap. I know not everybody's been here the last couple weeks. The story of Ruth in the Old Testament actually does not begin with Ruth. It actually begins with a Jewish family uh, who are living in a town called Bethlehem. You probably know Bethlehem, right? Story takes place about 3,000 years ago. And there's a Jewish family, a guy by the name of Elimelech, and he is married to Naomi. And they have two boys. But then things go really bad. Things go south. There's a famine in the land. So Elimelech and Naomi pack up their bags. They move about 50 miles east because their circumstances were so bad to a land called Moab. Now, Moab was a pagan land. It was a land where they worshipped false gods. And the gods that they worshipped demanded child sacrifice and temple prostitution. It was not a good religion. But that's where Elimelech and Naomi ended up. Well, those young boys grew into young men. And then they married uh, these two uh, Moabite pagan women, Orpah and Ruth. This is where Ruth comes on the scene. 
when we first meet Ruth, she was not a worshiper of God. She was a pagan being a part of this other nation that did not serve God. And so as this story continues uh, to go along, things get worse and worse. Elimelech dies. And after Elimelech dies, then the two boys die. The story just continues to go downhill and everyone is very distressed like the horn honking right now. We plan that. Do you feel the tension and the stress in the story? And so what do they do? Naomi decides to go home. She looks at Orpah and Ruth and says, I'm going home. You young ladies, stay here in your pagan land. Marry some pagan men. um, Have some pagan babies and go live your pagan lives. I'm going home. And Orpah says, okay. And Orpah goes home and we never hear about her again. But Ruth looks at Naomi and says, oh no, you can't get away that fast. In fact, I am going with you. I have experienced the living God. In that moment, Ruth has an incredible conversion experience from death to life, from pagan to being a follower of the one true God. And it's really an extraordinary part of the story because at this point in time, Ruth uh, is completely down on her luck and she decides that she's going to go to a place that she has never been before. And so this is what goes, she, she and Na- Ruth and Naomi then travel back to, to, to Israel, back to uh, Naomi's family. When they get back there, they're hungry. I mean, there's these, these widowed women. They're hungry, they're poor. They've been gone for a long time. They have no husbands, nobody to take care of them. And, and Ruth is a foreigner. And so they're hungry, and in ancient times, in in Jewish culture, they were allowed to go into fields and to glean crops. It's part of the Old Testament law. It was God's way of looking at the Israelites and saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take care of the poor people, and all you have to do is leave some of the grain of your fields so that they can come along after you harvest, and they can harvest themselves. It was kind of the welfare state before the welfare state today. And so this is what the Israelites did. They were just very generous. And so there's Ruth out in the field, harvesting some grain, getting some ready uh, uh, to to bring back to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And she doesn't know whose field she's in. She's just in this random field where she's picking grain, but she knows she can pick grain there. And the story uh, in Ruth says that by happenstance, she happened to, be, to meet up with a guy by the name of Boaz. It was happenstance, which of course it wasn't happenstance. It was very uh, on purpose in terms of how this worked. You know, this past week, uh, I was running up the Constitution Trail. I think it was on Tuesday. And I got about here and someone said to me, hey, Pastor Brian, I turn around and I look and I have no idea who this person is. And I said, hey, could you take off your sunglasses? They took off their sunglasses. And they said, hey, it's really good to see you. And I said, I didn't know you run. And they said, you know, I don't. I just started. 
But you know, last Sunday morning, I was running on the Constitution Trail. I never come out on the Constitution Trail on Sunday morning. I saw your congregation out worshiping. I heard your voice, so I had to just stop and listen to you for a few moments. She said, I have to let you know that what you were talking about last Sunday spoke directly to me. Thank you so much for what you shared. Folks, she just happened to be out on the Constitution last Sunday morning. We just happened to be worshiping outdoors. And the sermon message just happened to speak to her. That's what's going on in the story that Naomi, that Ruth just happened to meet this guy and be in the field of Boaz. This is, this is the sovereignty of God. You guys understand what I'm talking about here? This is the sovereignty of God. Life does not happen by random. Life does not happen by accident. None of you are here this morning by happenstance. You are all here for a purpose. And so the story continues of Naomi and Ruth. Let's get to verse 14. At mealtime... Boaz said to her, come over here. We have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, so she's going back out to the field, Boaz gave orders to her men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her, protect her. Even pull some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. And an ephah or an ephah is, is a, about a, a enough food for two people for an entire month. So there's Ruth gathering this grain, this barley, and in one day she collects uh, enough food for two people for an entire month. I mean, this is an abundance of what's going on here in terms of what she's collecting. She carried it all back to town. And her mother-in-law saw, saw how much she had gathered, which, by the way, guys, have you ever noticed how strong some of our wives are? Amen. Yeah. Some of these women, I mean, Ruth, I mean, she's not only a faithful, uh, a God-fearing woman now, she's also a beast. She is carrying a lot of grain all the way back into town. My kids regularly remind me how much, my, how much stronger my wife is than I am. And I, I just think it's partially true, right? And so we're grateful for the strong women in our lives. Ruth brought it out, also brought out, and gave her what she had left over, that she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Naomi looks at Ruth, and she makes this bold proclamation. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. This is an extraordinary statement because Naomi, when she came back from the land of Moab, she looked around at everybody and said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara because I'm bitter. 
I'm bitter, I'm hurt, my life is a mess. But in that moment of mess, Naomi could see the provision of God in her life and in Ruth's life. So Ruth has an extraordinary life. I mean, Ruth was raised on the wrong side of the tracks. She was born to an ungodly family, lived in an ungodly land. She was widowed at a young age. She was poor. She was homeless. And then she was a foreigner on top of it all. I mean, Ruth had absolutely no status. Her life was an absolute mess. But in the midst of all that, Ruth had this, this attitude of gratitude. At no point in time do we see in the book of Ruth, Ruth complaining about her life. If you were to sit down at Starbucks with Ruth and say, hey, Ruth, tell me about your life, and she could tell you all the details of her life, you would just be like, whoa, you, you have got a lot of mess in your life. And if anybody could complain about their circumstances in life, it was Ruth. She was dealt a bad hand of cards, but she never complained. Ruth never said, I'm just going to complain. I'm just going to wallow in my circumstances. I'm just going to lie here in bed. She said, nope, I'm getting up today. I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. I'm going to go glean in the field. I'm going to stay busy because that's what I need to do. Ruth had this extraordinary attitude of gratitude. And in that moment, Naomi saw that attitude and said, you are blessed. We're blessed. Look at all this grain for us to eat. And then there's Boaz. You know, Boaz is a completely different set of circumstances. Boaz is a wealthy guy. He runs Boaz.com. He's got this big house. He's got lots of property. He's got lots of people working for him. Boaz, he's, he's really something. I mean, he runs a big company. And every now and then he comes around to the fields and he checks in on all those who are harvesting his grain and and carrying it to his his silos. And on that day, when when, uh, Ruth meets Boaz, she says, what have I done to earn your favor? How come I'm so blessed? Why have you given me grace in my life? What have I done to deserve any of this? And Boaz doesn't look at her and say, you know, I'm just that great. I'm just the man. I'm just that cool. I'm just so awesome. He doesn't say any of that. Boaz says, you know why you're so blessed? It's because I've been blessed. Everything that I have is a gift from God. And so I'm just, I'm a, I've been blessed and I want to bless you with it. Boaz, very different circumstances, but he's got this same attitude of gratitude. And if you've ever been around poor people, people that struggle, people that uh, have had a lot of difficult circumstances in your life, you, you maybe have experienced people who have had a bad attitude and this attitude of, oh, I don't deserve this and look at how horrible this is. And if you've ever been around wealthy people, uh, successful people, people who have done something with their lives and accomplished great things, they, they also have a bad attitude. Look what I've done. Look what I've achieved. Look at all the things that I've done. You ought to be looking up to me, right? See, our circumstances in life do not determine our attitude. So we look at Ruth, we look at Boaz, and they both got this attitude of gratitude. And I think it's so easy for us to feel entitled in this world, in our lives, especially when things go wrong. 
So this morning, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about what it means to be entitled versus what it means to be grateful. So I just want to ask, start out by asking all of you, how many of you uh, feel more entitled than grateful? Yeah, that's what I thought. None of us raised our hands this morning. See, oftentimes when we talk about gratitude uh, or being entitled, most of us think, oh, no, I'm a pretty grateful person. I'm not very entitled, right? Most of us think that we've got a really, really good attitude. And so this morning, uh, I wrote up a little quiz that I thought would uh, help us to see just a little bit clearer. Uh, Are you a grateful person or are you an entitled person? So question number one, you're driving in the left-hand lane. Someone up ahead of you is slower than you. How do you feel? Okay. Number two, when you pray, do you spend more time thanking God for all the blessings in your life? Or do you spend more time asking God for God to do something in your life? Number three, over the last 100 texts that you've sent out to your spouse, your kids, your roommate, your loved ones, uh, your friends. How many of those 100 texts do you just say thank you versus how many of those texts are you asking them to do something for you? Just asking. Number four, how many of you have ever complained about too many restaurants and you just can't choose which restaurant to go to in town? And number five, when we start singing in church on Sunday morning, how many of you think to yourself, I don't like this song, or I hope this song gives glory to God? All right. How many of you feel entitled? Yeah. I mean, the reality is all of us, feel entitled more than we care to admit and think about ourselves. And the truth is, um, you know, there's a continuum between gratitude and being entitled, and we can slide back and forth really quickly depending on our circumstances in life. It's really easy to move to that that direction of feeling entitled and feeling like the world surrounds me and everybody ought to do what I want them to do. But God says, I've got something else for you to do. And I I want you to not put yourself in the middle, but I want you to focus on me. It reminds me of that old song, that old hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. It feels like my chorus in life. I want to follow God. I want to serve God. I want to be grateful for all that God has given me. But my heart is so prone to wander. My heart is so prone to leave the God I love. And so this morning, I just wanted to share with you, um, this is probably more for me than anything, um, so thanks for being here this morning to kind of just listen to me. Um, But I want to share with you uh, 51 things that I'm grateful for. This past week, I just decided I needed to do this, and uh, so uh, you're just here to listen to me now uh, for a little bit. Number one, I'm grateful uh, for my salvation in Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for my wife, Cindy. I'm grateful for my kids, Michaela, Logan, Q, and Zoe. 
I'm grateful for Faith Lutheran Church. I'm grateful for uh, my mom and dad who love me unconditionally. I'm grateful for my brother, even though I don't talk to him very often. I just know he's there for me. I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for our family financial situation. I'm grateful for the staff and leadership here at church uh, who respect me. I'm grateful to be an American. I'm grateful for the opportunity to have lived in other countries and to see how good we've got it here. I'm grateful for my friends. I'm grateful for a semi-sound mind, although my kids would disagree with me. I'm grateful for faithful colleague pastors like Pastor Mark, Pastor Chris, Pastor John. I'm grateful for my high school cross-country coach, Dave Griffith. I'm grateful for the gift of preaching. I get to do this. This is awesome. I get to stand and preach God's word. I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for religious freedom. I'm grateful for my great aunt Alice, who I'm going to see next week. I'm grateful for Pastor Dan Seidelman, who hired me in my very first church job. Now, it all went south from there, right, with with the senior pastor of the church. I was in youth ministry, but I'm grateful that he gave me the opportunity. I'm grateful for opportunities to hike on the Appalachian Trail. I'm grateful for Pastor Paul Gaucher, one of my mentors in ministry, I'm grateful for modern medicine. I'm grateful for the value menu at Taco Bell. I'm grateful for people who consistently pray for me. I'm grateful for clean running water. I'm grateful for Pastor Morris Vognis, who once upon a time looked at me when I was a youth minister and said, the church needs you. I'm grateful for opportunities to paddle on the Mississippi River. I'm grateful for cool fall mornings. I'm grateful for living in Bloomington. I'm grateful for the beach. I'm grateful for supportive ministry connections. I'm grateful for good craft beer. And I know that offends some of you. But for the rest of us, glory to God, right? For a good beer. I mean, because bad beer is just no good. I'm grateful for my neighborhood. I'm grateful for Cindy's gift of parenting our children. I'm grateful for some amazing seminary professors like Dan Shaw, Chuck Craft, Paul Berge. I'm grateful to be able to have hiked Mount Whitney and to go across the Grand Canyon. I'm grateful for the home and the neighborhood we live. I'm grateful for our children's friends. I'm grateful for my Toyota Prius, 53 miles to the gallon. I'm grateful for my calling in ministry. I'm grateful for God's word that is so accessible to me and to us. I'm grateful for technology that helps me and all of us to continue to grow in a season of COVID. I'm grateful for an opportunity to minister and to pour into other people's lives like Liam this morning. I am grateful for the Bloomington Normal Police, the firefighters, and the first responders. I am grateful for electricity. I'm grateful for serving along the faithful leaders of Lutheran congregations in Mission for Christ. I'm grateful for Pastor Dan Kleitz, who in April of 2017 talked me off a cliff and said, no, you don't want to go to another church. You need to start a church here in Bloomington. I am grateful for the breeze in central Illinois. 
I'm grateful for the faithful men and women who have spoken into my kids. I'm grateful for Zoom that I can talk to some of you. I am grateful for Five Guys Burgers now in Bloomington. I'm grateful for my in-laws. They, they watch in regularly this morning from Minnesota. They're very supportive of my ministry. I'm grateful for our pets most of the time. I'm grateful for the changing of the seasons. I'm grateful for my hammock. And last but not least, I am grateful for Major League Baseball. Any amens on that one? That didn't take me long to write up my list of gratitude. That was just one per year. I got to tell you, it was pretty fun. You know, the more serious ones, but also the more lighthearted ones. And as I put my list together this week of things and people that I'm grateful for, I just, I couldn't help but just feel so grateful and so blessed. And all the mess, all the turmoil, all the struggle, all the heartache going on in the world, all the mess, the turmoil going on in my own life, it just melted away. Because I was focused on the blessings in my life and, the, and just having this gratitude of, God, you have given me so much. And I want to say thank you. So, of course, I want to ask you this morning, what are you grateful for? Who are you grateful for? And I want to challenge you to sit down and make a list. Because it's not difficult when you get to it. In fact, it will make you feel more grateful to just list all the ways in which God has blessed you and God has blessed me. And any entitlement that we have in our lives, it just melts away. It's really hard to feel sorry for yourself and feel entitled when you're counting your blessings. It's like, God, you've given me so much. It's pretty rough. I, I, I can't feel sorry for myself. You've given me too much. And this was Naomi's and Ruth's proclamation. Naomi looks at Ruth and says, man, you are blessed. And Ruth says, yep, I am a blessed woman. Later on, the Apostle Paul would write to the church in Philippi, and say, you know what? You need to be focused on the blessings in your life. Paul would write it uh, like this in, in, uh, in the book of Philippians. He said, Jesus, here's what I want you to do, church. Have the same mind as Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality God, with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross." See, if anyone could be entitled and walk around in ancient times going, hey, I'm God's son. Look at me. I got stuff to say. Everybody look at me. That wasn't Jesus. That's not how he lived his life. He lived his life, it says, as a slave with great humility, and he humbled himself all the way to death on a cross. I mean, that's the God we serve. That's the God that we are worshiping this morning. And then Paul continues on in the book of Philippians. He says, do all things without murmuring or arguing 
so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. And you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, but I think I should be able to complain about this thing. Well, the problem with that is Paul says, do not complain about anything. Nothing. Zero. The Greek word for do not complain about anything is is anything. Nothing. Nothing can we complain about. We have been blessed. And Paul says, if you're a Christ follower, you ought not to be arguing and grumbling and complaining about anything. By the way, Paul wrote Philippians when he was in jail, unjustly in jail. It's all about our attitude. And it's looking to God and saying, God, you have given me so much. You have blessed me so much. It's looking to the cross. And I know it's very tempting for us to look at our circumstances in our lives and go, whoa, things aren't good. But we need to keep our eyes focused on the cross and what God has done for us and the ways in which he has gifted us and given us so many blessings in our lives. You know, the only way we can really get around this is for each of us to kind of have a Copernicus moment. Remember who Copernicus was? He was that guy that lived a long time ago when everybody believed uh, that the whole universe focused on the earth and everything went around the earth. And Copernicus was the guy who said, wait a second, what if we are not the center of the world? What if something else is the center of the world and we're supposed to revolve around that? He's the guy that said that. And that's, I think, the same thing spiritually that each one of us needs to come to. That place where we recognize that I am not the center of the universe, that you are not the center of the universe, that none of us is the center of the universe, that only God in Jesus Christ is the center of the universe. And we are to form our lives and make a circle around God on the throne. And when we do that, we are proclaiming that he is sovereign, that he is in control, that he knows what's going on with your circumstances. And in spite of whatever hardship struggles you might be facing, he is still good. He is still faithful and he has still got you and holding you wonderfully in his hands. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, that you are a God who indeed uh, has the whole world in your hands. That God, in the midst of all the, the craziness going on in the world today, in the midst of all the brokenness uh, in my life and in our lives, that you are still in control, that you are still all-powerful, that you reign sovereign. God, help us to be like, like Naomi and just declare the blessings in our lives. Help us to be like Ruth, to just have this attitude of gratitude and focus on all that you've given to us. And may we, like Paul says, shine like stars to this dark and broken generation. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.